It's about time for true crime. Hey. Hi. You guys, we've had such a good week. It's been so good. Do you remember last week when we were like, we went and saw kittens? Well, now there's a new kitten. There's a new kitten home. Um, Everybody meet Oliver. And, and his... by that, I mean you'll probably hear him because yeah. he really likes to yell, much like his sister, Mia. Yeah, they're very chatty. Also loves to tell lots of stories. So little the baby kiddos. Oliver just has like little kitten mews and um, it, it makes me want to cry of happiness. And little kitten yowls. Oh, yeah. It's he so cries cute. sometimes like he's waiting for his husband to come home from war. Yeah. And then he's like all happy and oh my God, does he purr so loud? Yes. And he has like the cutest little resting bitch face. I love it. He's so, so grumpy. Much. He's just a grumpy gills. It's so cute. But he's so sweet and his purrs are like diesel. Like this, yeah. this thing like he he's runs so loud. Yeah. He's just such a good boy. And he gets along with Mia and we're just we're really happy in this house, but it's chaotic. So that's number one. That's number one. Number two. Hey, we're here with you. Yes. We love it. And we love all of you guys. And we just spent some good time like answering emails and saying hey to people. Uh, But that's number two. But number three was Hosier. Yes. We went and we saw Hosier. And I, much like when I saw my first moose, had what felt like a baptism experience. It was very good. Very fun. <laughs> can't recommend enough. Um, wow, really can't recommend enough. It was so we good. We made the trek. We yes. saw Hosier. We cried at Hosier. We smiled at Hosier. We laughed at Hosier. Yes. We um, had funny people in front of us at Hosier. I am probably the shortest person in every room. You guys know this if you've been here with us. And I... Y'all, we didn't have bad seats, and I was like, wow, this could really be it, you know? Yeah. And the opener is on, nobody is in front of me yet, and I'm like, all right, here we go. This is it. Well, the tallest fucking guy in all the land. And by that, she means like five, six. No, this kid was tall. He just had a really big torso. Um, It was so wide. <laughs> Like, he had, like, string bean legs, but, like, the shoulders of, like, oh, yeah, like three had... times. I don't know. He was, proportionally, he was fine, okay? He just was a lot taller than me. And even sitting, I couldn't see my man. And then standing, I definitely couldn't see my man. And Homeboy did not, like, sway or rock or <laughs> dance at all. So there was no, like, ebb and flow where I could, like, look over his shoulder and move and look over the other shoulder. It was, like, just straight me standing in front of Abby, which was fine because it yeah. did not block your view at once all. again Allie is three feet tall so i could just look straight over her head you know, people are really gonna think i'm actually three feet tall <laughs> you say that um she's not exactly three feet tall it just feels like she's three feet tall get bent <laughs> great then we can be eye to eye. <laughs> oh come on i walked into that Sorry, one you did fuck you and your clown shoes <laughs> <laughs> okay Polly. <laughs> oh what what episode was that i don't even know that oh that was the cj short for stalking yes that's right me and my big old feet so if you guys haven't (laughs) listened to that one because you don't understand what we're saying you should listen to cj stalking then the stalking of katarina that we covered after that and then our instagram page and it will all make sense it sure so there's your scavenger hunt i guess um, but so we are riding that high slash the post concert depression 
But you know what? New kittens are really making it easy. Um, you guys making it easy. So we're just sort of chugging. Today I have a tough case. Sorry. Okay. Um, it's not the it's not the worst. And I'm preparing a spooky two-parter that part of the reason I'm doing this case is it's the one that I had prepped for when you were doing your Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. And I was like, you know what? Multiple child murders probably ain't it. So today we'll be going over some child murder, which oh, Okay, because we've had a bit a time. of time with just other murder. Yep. Mm-hmm. So my stomach is going to hurt is what you're saying. A little bit, probably. Well, all right. But honestly, it is satisfying. It's a good end. Okay, thank God. And we actually have a relatively recent uh, bit of news on this. It's not really about any of the people, but it is brought up, which is curious. So that should be fun. Ooh. Yeah. So please, if you're skipping, stop skipping. Hey. Hey, skipper, no skipping. Skipper. Stop. We're starting. Okay. Uh, Howdy. Hey, hey, you pod pod party people. (laughs) We are doing another cool cross the globe travel in time. I love that. So, yeah, we're going to jump right into it. It is kind of tough. So I'll just give that overall trigger warning. It's got children, but it's not super graphic. We don't um, go into anything super detailed. So hopefully it's not going to, you know, wreck your dreams tonight. Okay. But of course, of course, if you need a beat, take a beat. Always. Always. So howdy. Hey, hey, you pod pod party people. Welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast about time for true crime. I'm Allie. And to... God, no, you're not, <laughs> ma'am. I've been called it identity so much today. Identity theft is not a joke. <laughs> Fuck. I'm Abby, and today I'm going to be talking about the murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. Mm. Today we are doing another cool cross the globe travel, and we're going to be time traveling, which is also exciting. Get to do that all from my fat pants. Mm-mm-mm. Love it. In the kitchen. So good. So this case is super interesting to me. And it's a little bit weird. Because a lot of this case is really just the investigation. But we'll get there. So, of course, I'm going to do the thing that we do, which is where I put my resources up top. So... I actually got a lot of good information from Truly Criminal on this case. I, of course, used Wikipedia and Wales Online, inews.co.uk, The Sun, Bustle, and, you know, all of those other good, good things. But as you may have guessed, we are going to England. Ooh. So. Hello, chat. No. (laughs) Hello, chat. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I would never. I couldn't kill you all like that. Evening, governor. You could say that was a bit of an understatement, governor. Oh, God. Please stop. It's not bad. Oh, it hurts. And we're not even at the murder yet. No, we're not. So, okay. I'll chill with my bad accent. That's fine. Thank you. But today we're going to Soham, Cambridgeshire. Cambridgeshire? 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 Probably. Someone's going to tell us. Sorry, England. 
Um, in England in 2002. <laughs> okay. Actually, August of 2002 to be exact, making this a 21-year-old case. Soham is quiet. It's quaint. It's a market town filled with farmers and farmland and probably potatoes and beans and veggies and all of that good stuff. But it's actually so cute and small. Its population is only about 10,000 people. So not super big. My high school, I think, was like a third of that. Wow, So yeah. that adds any perspective. Yeah, it's a pretty small place. So unfortunately for all of you, this, of course, has that big trigger warning. It's the normal stuff on a true crime podcast. There's murder. There's violence. There's some graphic crimes, but not really in detail. And honestly, the biggest trigger warning I'm going to give is if you go to our Instagram and you look at the fucker's face who did this, that I'm sorry about that. but. We will have him up there. Is he ugly? Yeah. Well. He's just not great. You hate to see it. Yeah. Love to see that he's in prison, though. So. Okay, good. So we're actually going to feel a little bit better. Yes. So there is quite a satisfying end to this that I hope you all are excited about, like me. So how did we get to a point where we found the bodies of two 10-year-olds now buried together and yet 20 years later still don't know the full truth? Two 10-year-olds? Yeah. And they're buried together? Yeah. Are they sisters? No. They're just best friends. Stop it right now. It literally made me sob to read that. I was like, and they're buried together. Oh. We'll get there. Um, But yes, they're buried together. They were best friends. But we still don't know really what happened. We know who did it. But we don't really know what he did. So let's get into it. If you'd like to help us bring you more true crime, though, first, shameless plug, please think about giving us a follow, a rate, a review, turn on some notifications. You go to our little Instagram. It's always below. Um, And also, if you wanted, you could always donate to our Venmo or our PayPal if you felt so inclined. But with all of this in mind, let's meet two absolutely adorable little girls. Oh, so first, we have Holly Marie Wells and Jessica Amy Chapman. Okay. They were besties. And, like, I think from the time they were born, I didn't find a time that they met, but there were photos of them going back ages. Mm. And they're only 10. So that tells me they met pretty young. Little preschool besties. Right. Um, all of the photos that I found of them actually made me so nostalgic for my late 90s, early 2000s childhood, yeah. but painted such a beautiful picture of these two girls. Holly Wells was this cute little athletic blonde girl, and Jessica Chapman had really cute brunette hair. They both had their hair cut like almost the exact same way mm. to literally the exact same point on their shoulders. They're adorable. The photos that I've seen of the two have them riding bikes. They're in pageants. They're playing outside in swings. They were the ideal best friends at 10. And when they didn't see each other at school in the same class, they were seeing each other outside of school because they were a 10-minute walk from each other's house. And when they weren't seeing each other outside of school, they were sleeping over at each other's houses. They were like in separable 
Holly was a little bit quieter than Jessica, and Jessica was definitely the extrovert of the two. And of course, isn't that how all good friendships start? (laughs) An extrovert adopts an introvert. (laughs) Or if you're Allie and I were just two introverts who got put together long enough that we were like, oh, cool. (laughs) I'm more extroverted than you. Yeah. But that doesn't say much. (laughs) (laughs) It's a low bar. (laughs) But beyond school and sleepovers, the two also connected over playing sports. And primarily soccer or, for the rest of the world, football. (laughs) So, Sunday, August 4th, 2002, Holly and Jessica were going to hang, per the usual. It was a beautiful day, and Jessica had just come back from vacay, so they were aching to spend good quality time together and get, like, caught up and, you know, hear all of the fun adventures and who did you see and what did you do and ah. Um, so Jessica actually left to go to Holly's and it was like a cookout. So she was there all day. She got there a little before noon. They hung out. They ate. And again, the walk isn't even like 10 minutes. So it was really exciting. Yeah. For a 10 year old to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, my best friend actually lived about the same distance away. It was maybe 15 minutes, but it was like right across the neighborhood. So I could go do the walk. Yeah. And it was the best thing ever because you'd be like, oh, my parents aren't home. Who cares? Going over, you know. And you feel so adult. You do, especially at 10 when you're like, I'm still a kid. I'm still a good kid. But you're like, ooh, I'm I'm feeling out what it's like to be a little older. Like I'm seeing that teenagers seem cool and like independent. And maybe one day I want to be that. Like I can't wait till I have car keys. Right. Yep. So she's super excited. But before Jessica left, she was like, okay. I have to make sure I bring everything. I got to make sure I look cute. Well, as cute as you want to look at 10. And she wanted to make sure that she brought Holly the souvenir that she got her from vacation. Aww. So Jessica brought the surprise for Holly. And it was actually the super cute necklace with an H on it. And then there were also dolphins on either side. It's just so cute and so pure. And like 10 year old, I want to bring you home like a gift. You are going to rip my heart out and stomp on it. A little. Sorry. That is so sweet, though. And you know that the parents were like, oh, that would look really cute yep. for Holly. And she was like, yes, I want to get that. Can we get that, please? Can we get yep. that? And Or like, there's an H and a J. Can I get us matching ones? You know what I mean? Oh. So Holly and Jessica and their friend Natalie played games for a while. I don't know if Natalie got like a souvenir or anything, but I know that this was during the cookout portion of the day. You know, they're all hanging yeah. out. And eventually Natalie goes home and Holly and Jessica were still going to hang a little more. The two put on Manchester United jerseys Uh, for anyone else like me who is entirely out of the loop on sports. Manchester United is a popular football team in England. Yes. Um, And also a shameless plug. If you haven't seen Ted Lasso, it's literally worth paying Apple TV until you can binge through the whole season, the whole series. It is so good. It is one of the very few shows that even kind of touches on sports that I like. And it's entirely about sports. But it's also like mental health advocacy. What? What? Anyway. Jason Sudeikis who? What? I know. So um, definitely worth a look. Worth a watch. But all of that to say. Holly and I guess... Jessica had borrowed one of the Manchester United jerseys from Holly's brother. So they were in like matching red Manchester United jerseys. And they were like, you know what would be so fun? Let's go play on the computer. Oh, no. Um, 
So they go upstairs. It's like 5 p.m. I think the family finished dinner and they're like, okay, we're going to go play. Like it's 2002, like probably fucking Webkins. You know what I mean? Oh. And they're both in their little like bright red David Beckham jerseys. Um, And when I remember David Beckham plays soccer, that's when I remembered that I actually do get it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they were just so cute. And immediately, you know, the girls were upstairs playing on the computer, just having a good time. Yeah. That's around five. That's when the family ate. But this is where our story gets a little less pleasant. Uh, Holly and Jessica actually left Holly's house around 615, but they didn't tell anyone. They didn't say they were leaving. They didn't say where they were going. But it wasn't until 8 p.m. that anyone realized the two were gone, which does and doesn't make sense. Normally, kids on a computer aren't running around and stomping around making noise. But, you know, I'm glad that they noticed relatively soon. You know, you think about parents cleaning up dinner and then being like, wait, it's a little too quiet. Yeah. So it was around 8 p.m. that the parents that Holly's parents were like, oh, we should check on that. And they didn't see the girls. So they kind of panicked and they searched and they searched for like two hours with Jessica's parents. Obviously, they told them. Mm -hmm. But when they didn't see the girls within two hours, they called the cops. So the police were notified that Holly and Jessica were missing by 10 p.m. the same day, which is pretty decent turnaround. That's less than four hours later. Yeah, not too bad. So ultimately, I'm just really glad that the families were on top of it. But we still have no clue where the girls were going. Like, to date. No idea. Seriously? Seriously. They didn't talk to somebody online or? No. And we'll get there. Okay. But it only took hours for three different town police departments and literally hundreds of community members to get out and start looking for the two. Like, that night, there were people willing to go and dedicate their time which is sick yeah because it's children in your own backyard i mean and this is a small town i'm sure they all know each other you know it's one of those kinds of places and nothing brings a community together than advocacy for kids it's so true and you know i love that they took it so seriously so quickly i feel like a lot of people especially especially if the girls were out of that elementary school age and a little bit older i think a lot of people's response is like oh they're breaking curfew or like they're just being teens but i think because they were so young the town was just like oh fuck no well and <laughs> not in my town there's always this common thread or at least there used to be in the like 60s 70s 80s when if a kid went missing it was like oh he's a runaway or oh she's a runaway yeah and that was just like the blanket statement on anybody that they just really couldn't figure out where they went and apparently we thought so many po- more people ran away than they did yeah but that's a little too young to have been lumped in with that like you hear 14 15 16 mm-hmm. you're like oh Some issue with parents at home. They didn't want to get grounded. They've got this issue. And so they took off. Right. And it's just wait a little bit. They'll come home. Right. They always come back kind of thing. And then inevitably they don't because they never could. Right. Oliver agrees. I'm not sure if you guys heard that. Oh. Oliver is very invested. Hi, buddy. Sir, can we get any more comments on that? Buddy. Oh, hi. Thank you. All right. So I was really glad to see that they took it seriously. But another part of that is that it seems like Holly and Jessica were like well known in their community. But also 
everyone thought immediately there was something super sinister about this. Ooh. Because it is a small town. These are girls that are respectful. They're kind. They're sweet. They don't see Holly and Jessica being the kind to just run away with a random person. So they're thinking if anything bad did happen, it happened with one of us. Which is not a good feeling to have. No, but rarely do they really look inwards on that and self-reflect. So that's a good step. It's great. And also, like statistically speaking, in the field, we know that most things like this do happen from people that you know. So it was actually a pretty decent reflection on their part. Mm -hmm. But of course, the media absolutely glommed onto this case like as fast as they could, (laughs) you know, Mm. from all over England, though, not just Soham. So there were reporters from everywhere showing up to talk about it. At one point, a reward of 150,000 euros was offered for information on their return. Well, Um, I'm assuming their return, not information, but, you know, I can't be certain. But if you're looking for dollars and an inflation adjustment, that would be the equivalent of over $250,000 today. In U.S. money? Yes. Wow. If we wanted to be exact, it'd be $279,772.57. Damn. But it also seems that the search parties grew by the day and the police made a separate headquarters for this case because they couldn't handle everything that was flooding the police department and they made the little headquarters at the girls primary school which is really cute good and also like a little chilling for the other kids probably a little chilling but if anybody heard or saw anything maybe like another kid's parents or something right that's or even just easy another to get kid. to yeah you know i was make out them, riding my bike and i saw this make it approachable right you hide it and wonder you know i think it's um might be Daniel Tosh. He has a a skit on um, orphanages or something. And he's like, yeah, no one ever gets directions anywhere. And it's like, yep, you see the orphanage, you take a left there. Like, it's like, why, if you want it seen, why do you hide it? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all these things. Like, there's all these kids that need somewhere, but you put them in God knows where. No one can find it. Yeah. So it's like, if you've got this headquarters for this, like, huge investigation where you're looking for it, it should be somewhere that everybody knows how to get to right you don't have to have a kid in school to know where the schools are and the closest people to them would have been there so as days passed the police didn't say anything but felt certain that the lack of results must have meant some harm came to the girls you know if they had just run away they would have heard something on tv or the news or Honestly, they would have gone home because why wouldn't they? And they didn't have any reason to run away. Exactly. They both had happy, healthy lives and they loved, you know, their social life. They loved their families. There was no reason for them to be gone. But as both sets of parents, as well as teachers at the primary school, made certain that the girls knew growing up about like stranger danger and not going off with people you don't know, they felt so confident that it wasn't a choice on the girl's part if they had left with someone that wasn't familiar or safe. The police then thought that this lent the girls to potentially being in contact with someone they knew. And also, the reward increased to a million euros. In 2023 U.S. dollars, that'd be about 1.8 million. All right. So some significant money. As the days went by, and nothing happened, nobody hears anything, the police then tried the sex offender registry. 
Good old Megan's Law. Yep. Or the equivalent over there. Over 250,000 people from around the UK were pulled in and questioned, but none of them were our guy. And eventually each was crossed off the suspect list. Even David fucking Beckham went on TV asking for their safe return. And like to the camera told the girls that they weren't in trouble and their families love and miss them and that he just wanted to see them home safe. Like their favorite football player. Come on. That they were wearing his jersey the day that they disappeared. Oh, how haunting. He went on TV. Wow. So it was big. The police did get some helpful information, though, when searching the schools. Not only did they get a lot of help from teachers and admin staff at the girls' primary school, but they also got really good information from the groundskeeper of the college. Now, for those of us in the U.S., the college atmosphere in England is significantly different than that in the U.S. College is not post-high school, but it is, in fact, the second half of high school. So... About ages 17 to 18, junior, seniors, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. So then universities after that? Right. Yes. Oh, so university okay. is our college. Our Their college is like high school. Good to know. Um, but Ian Huntley was the groundskeeper of this college. And it was actually like right across the school or right across the street from the primary school. Mm-hmm. So he was pretty close. And Ian helped the police with any questions he could he went to interviews but ian had self-identified as being one of the few people to see the girls the night of their disappearance and to be fair he was really concerned and said that he would do anything he could to help he wanted to again he'd answer the questions he talked to police if he could because he was pretty close to the girls and not close with them as in he knew a lot about them. But his girlfriend, Maxine Carr, was actually a teaching aide at the school that the girls went to. And so he knew about them and she was greatly impacted by this. OK, that makes sense. So it was when CCTV cameras caught what looked like Holly and Jessica walking towards a sweet shop and then more and more of the two walking until they got towards that college that they thought, hmm, maybe we should actually ask him some questions, you know? Mm. Really quick, though, it should be noted that the police did look and there was absolutely no evidence that the two girls used any chat rooms or online services to make a plan to meet with someone. It was confirmed like the next day or so that, in fact, the girls hadn't been chatting with anyone online. So we don't know where they were going. And while we might know that they weren't talking to someone... What we do know is that everything the girls would have wanted to go to, their school, a sweet shop, a store, food, entertainment, was within like a 10-minute radius of their house by foot. So they wouldn't actually need to walk this far. I think this was a little bit further than their immediate bubble. Okay, that makes sense. And that also was what makes it confusing. Where were they going? What were they doing? So when the police asked Ian, he said, well, yeah, I I did see them. But, you know, they were as happy as can be. They were chatting with each other. They were bubbly. They were just like playing around. And then he didn't see them. He pointed in the direction they were going. And that was it. But because he was one of the people who might have been the last to see the girls alive, he was obviously questioned and he was doing whatever he could to help. Ian actually was quoted on the news saying that, All anyone is really holding on to is the hope of their return. And sometimes 
he was hopeful that no new updates meant good news. Yeah, like no news is good news. Yeah, at yep. least we're not finding them kind of thing. Okay. So let's talk about Ian a little bit more. Ian Huntley lived with his partner, Maxine Carr. The two had met in Bigsby three years earlier and moved to the area in 2001. I think Bigsby is a very funny name. Sorry. That is the most English sounding. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to Bigsby. Oh, my. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, so they had moved in 2001. This is 2002. So they'd been around the area for like a year. And Maxine was a teaching aide at Holly and Jessica's school. They absolutely adored Maxine. And Ian had become the groundskeeper for that college. So both were really present in the community and particularly with the schools. In okay. I have a feeling we're not loving him. In July, okay. the month before, Maxine had applied for a full-time position over her part-time one. So she was a teaching aide, but she really wanted to be like either an assistant or an actual teacher at the school. Okay. But she didn't get it. Ew. And when she told everyone that she didn't get it or like the kids that were interested, Holly burst into tears. Like Holly loved Maxine. Holly even wrote her like this sweet little letter telling her how sad she was and that Holly would miss Maxine so much. And she like wrote her a little poem and drew her a little picture. Oh. And what's a little odd, in my opinion, is that Ian started asking for these interviews that he was doing to be kept local. And that was probably good. And for a reason, you know, with so much circulating um, around all of England, they were getting a little overwhelmed. And he was like, ah, this is obviously a local case. I'd like to keep it that way. I mean, it's really not your choice where it gets broadcast and stuff. If you're yeah. choosing to do all of these public things, yeah, then he that had, is what it's going to be. Sure made a valiant effort. But I agree. It's okay. not super up to you. Especially when it's like, let's advocate to bring them home. Then you want that to reach as many people as, as it possibly can. You don't want... Presumably. You don't want to snuff that out. Right. And now, something that upset me... and. This is probably unfair, if I'm being honest, but it really did upset me. Hit me. Is that in part of the police department's hunt to find Jessica and Holly, Mm -hmm. um, British police actually had two young girls from a local acting group retrace Jessica and Holly's steps. And they had the girls dress up the exact same way. They had their hair done as similarly as possible to see if they could, quote unquote, jog people's memories. Well, now you're just creating memories, but okay. Exactly. And now I I don't know why this upsets me so much. I think it's the idea of bringing something so horrifying into a very intimate part of these other girls' lives. Like, you'd be able to show a picture of the jersey, a picture of the two girls and the route that you believe they took. And that would do as much, I think, as having two girls just walk the same path. But you could do that without bringing this attention to those other girls. Yeah. Not only, I mean, I believe the girls were safe when they were doing the reenactment. That's not really it. But it's more like if they're also 10, why are you giving them this to process? They don't need that. Mm. You know, but either way, it actually helped. The news and police used this to try to remind people that any information is important information, even if you don't think it has anything to do with anything. Minute and minuscule details are details they might not have. Mm -hmm. 
So I suppose despite my personal frustration, it did work for their purposes. And it actually led to thousands of phone calls and tips. All right. So the publicity worked, which is great. This teeny tiny town police department simply just wasn't ready for it, though. We talk often about how small town police departments generally aren't prepared for a homicide investigation in general. Correct. But especially when your town is 10,000 people and you're getting one and a half times that in calls, you're really not ready for it for the most part. No. And again, they couldn't have been. The girl's disappearance became national news in the UK essentially overnight And they were just overwhelmed and didn't have the hands or the ability to really deal with as much of it as they wanted to. I believe that. The the overwhelm led to, and this is his full title, so hang in there with me. Detective Chief Superintendent Chris Stevenson being asked to take over. And now I don't know if this proper title is Detective Chief or Superintendent or Detective Chief Superintendent. So for our purposes, I'm just going to call him Chief Stevenson. (laughs) Okay. All due respect. It's not because I don't think he deserves the other titles. It's just a mouthful. Detective Chief Superintendent Chris Stevenson. Scorpio Life Coach. (laughs) Motivational Speaker. (laughs) He gives me Hufflepuff vibes. XOXO Gossip Girl. Correct. Chief Stevenson. Yes. Him. I love that. Okay. (laughs) So, again, Chief Stevenson. He scaled things right back, which made a lot of sense. This was a great call for him. Chief Stevenson said they had gone so far and it had gotten so big that he just wanted to stop and rewind. Go step by step from the beginning. In its heart and its roots, Holly and Jessica's disappearance was with the locals, not lads in Scotland hours away. Chief Stevenson had the girls' last steps looked at again, far more thoroughly this time. Although last time they were able to confirm that, no, the girls weren't talking to anyone online and, yes, they were going towards their school area, they didn't really look further at the actual route that they were taking or what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I think part of the initial overwhelm in an investigation is just taking the leads you have and following them. But I think it was super shrewd of Chief Stevenson to do this. So... I also wanted to note that this investigation by the end had received over 14,000 calls and tips from people across England. They had more calls on this than residents in their own town. And there was nothing out there to suspect Holly or Jessica would leave with a stranger, which meant Chief Stevenson was pretty damn sure that it was a neighbor or a friend and they knew a lot more than they were saying. See, what was most confusing about this case, and frankly still is, is understanding why Holly and Jessica left in the first place, let alone went so far. If they weren't messaging anyone and they weren't looking to meet up and everything else was a quick walk from their home, why? What's the point? And if it was just for a walk, why go so far? Why not do a lap or two around the block? When my friend Randall and I used to walk together as kids, we'd have on like our little... um, sweatsuits and we'd have Ooh. these little crystal light appletinis they were obviously non-alcoholic but yes. just like you'd mix it in and we'd walk around and we'd talk shit but we'd do it around like the same two blocks of our neighborhood where like, there they go again yep but we were in like local well and the other thing is is like if you were to abduct two right or take two mm-hmm. take two girls it's significantly harder in fact 100 percent harder to yep. get both 
So to take two instead of one, which means you're likely. Mm hmm. Hey, kids who I know who I have this rapport with. Let me lure you here. I'm not yeah. going to like grab you from the back and, you know, run with you. Yeah. Try to like scoop you into something or steal you into the woods or something because it is increasingly difficult. How old they are doesn't matter. It's right. two different people, two independent beings going different directions, likely. Yep. Because you're running. <laughs> so if this is the stranger in the night and this like ghoulish figure waiting in the alleyway. Right. That doesn't add up. That's what we think of when we think of child abduction and we think of missing kid. But it's right. very rarely the case. So. So not. Not great and absolutely un certain there's no answer still today about any of why they left or where they left to we just don't know so the police started to dive into why they walked so far where they were going etc and what came out was maybe not what they intended but helpful nonetheless they found out that not one person had seen the girls beyond the college nearby which meant nobody had seen the girls after ian and maxine which confirmed that ian and maxine were the last two to see the girls alive Okay. Following the route that had been mapped out, a forensic engineer helped narrow down the girl's whereabouts with cell phone pings from Jessica's phone. Jessica's phone, according to the forensic engineer, had been manually switched off around 6.37 p.m. Okay. So this was 20, 25 minutes after the girls left the house. Further, it was last pinged towards a tower that was nearby the college which was Soham Village College. And you know who lived right next to the college? Ugh. Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr. I, I don't love that. This is making me think of like Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Yeah. And Maxine and Ian and Myra <laughs> and Ian. It's just ugh. not yeah. good. Uh, well, the police knew that Ian and potentially Maxine knew more than they were saying. In the absolute best case scenario. In the worst case scenario, they were concerned that he was a part of it. But see, Ian couldn't stay out of the news. At first, he had to get help. At first, he had to help get the word out and help with these girls getting found. Then he helped show police around the college. And before that, he was, of course, doing more news interviews. Oh, you know how they always want to take an active role in the investigation? Mm -hmm. Okay. Plus, his inability to stay the fuck out of the news meant that because this was a now national case, he was now a national face and name. Despite those pleas for being local, you remember that? Yeah, odd and not your choice, dude. Well, not to mention, after being on the news everywhere, old acquaintances and friends from Grimsby, where Ian had previously lived, started calling the police. Oh? Do you want to know why? I would love to. Well, these calls had many tips that Ian had plenty of confirmed and alleged charges from previous years. And not only did he have previous confirmed and alleged charges from previous years, they were at least nine charges of rape. Oh, fuck. He had charges of <clears throat> indecent assault of underage girls. Fuck. And harming animals. Oh, fuck you, dude. And I said, no, Britain, there are no decent assaults on underage girls. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you could have just taken out the indecent assault of it. But uh, <laughs> there isn't like, no, that's par for the course. Yeah. No, it's just it's 
All the salts are indecent. How is he even allowed to live within a school zone? We don't know. But what a dick, yeah? Oh, God. However, a hang-up was that despite the long list of alleged offenses, the rapes, the underage assaults from girls as young as 11... Okay. ...never went to trial. So they aren't in a criminal history. He's not on a sex offender list. Okay. He can live immediately next to two different schools. And he can work at them. So he didn't have any convictions for those kinds of charges? It seems he did not. Just different charges. Correct. Like he had a criminal history. We didn't think it was violence against children, but look at all of these other reports Mm -hmm. that were ultimately... One or two of the rapes may have been formally charged, but he had a wide range of ages on those victims. So a few of them were adults. However... Since he was on the news fucking everywhere now, it was also obvious that this was taking a toll on Ian. It seems that Ian and Maxine had moved to Soham to quote unquote escape his past. She knew about it? I'm not sure, but she at least went along with moving two and a half or three hours away from where they met. Ma'am. Which also, if I can, two and a half or three hours is not going to absolve your name and face and reputation of everything you've done, especially when you're being an asshat. Ugh. But he was not taking it well. He had started losing weight. He became very unwell. The bags under his eyes grew deeper. And at one point, he even broke down to officers that were going door to door crying. And he was like, am I a suspect? Just tell me I'm a suspect. If I'm a suspect. Wow. It almost sounds like he's really fucking guilty. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to you, sir, I'd like to say that if you weren't before, you sure as hell are now. <laughs> yeah. But you were before. So you just added to that. Sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> Jeez. But Ian wasn't the only one. Maxine helped with searches and also spoke to the media. And though I'm pretty sure less excited than Ian had, she was also facing public concern. So Maxine, being under public concern, it was a little bit different than Ian's. Because Maxine did really care and Maxine did really want to help however she could. Now, I know that British affect is just a tad different than those of us in the U.S., Hmm. which should surprise nobody. But it does make it harder for me to feel like I'm making a very accurate call when I talk about affect. Mm -hmm. Partially, I know culture is different. Dialect is different, as are norms and humor. Like, I know British people tend to be far more dry and sarcastic, Um, which I That's exactly what we are. I love British humor. Same. But that is kind of like a hallmark of British humor. You know what I mean? So there are some differences there. And I just wanted to make sure I was being on the mark here because I thought that Maxine didn't seem particularly sad. I mean, she said she was sad, devastated even, but she didn't show it at all. Mm -hmm. She did say on the news that she would keep the card Holly had made for her after she didn't get that position. She'd keep it forever. She said when describing Holly leaving that poem that it was just so nice, but it was all with such a flat affect. Like, she was talking about what she had for lunch that day. Mm. But, you know, she wanted to keep the card forever because, and this is a quote, that's just the kind of girl she was. And I do take some comfort in knowing that I'm not the only one who thought this felt a little not right. 
because allegedly right after she left, the news producers themselves turned around and was like, yeah, that was weird. Did uh, did you think that she referred to the girls in the past tense? Oh. And sure as shit, right there recorded on camera, she did. So, obviously, this isn't enough to truly prove anything, but it sure is enough to add suspicion. One officer said that Ian at some point had slung over a police door casually when they were going through asking questions and was like, yeah, how long does DNA stay around for? Sir? Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> this is a Wendy's drive through This is a murder investigation. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So... Ian also had three big scratches on his face early on, but he said it was just from his dog. No. And it wasn't until some local reporters started getting the phone calls explaining some of the charges Ian had before that we spoke about that things really started to look serious for him. But all of this combined made a very compelling case to seriously look at Ian and Maxine, the only two saying anything about the girls the night they went missing, and they're not family. Well, right. And it's good to look at. I mean, given his history, regardless, he could be, I don't yeah. know, rehabilitated, changed, made all of these things or just still not a great guy, but didn't do this. And it right. still needs to be checked out because the, now there's just as many people in the community second guessing him. Right. And like right. When we, if we look at Girl Scout murders, because this just feels very on par with like, yeah, everyone coming together to search and there being a lot of like news oh, coverage yeah. and it reaching far and wide one of the people in that case was literally hospitalized because it he w- it was printed in a in a paper that he was the killer when he wasn't mhm and he got death threats for like the rest of his life because some people never let go of that right or look past it to see that oh never mind and he ended up having a, like impacts from this right forever so if whether he this guy did it or didn't either rule it out or determine it's him give him the peace of mind that other people won't come after him if it's not him or give them the peace of mind by saying yep it's him we got him yeah and that's also part of why i was like maybe we shouldn't do this one immediately following the girl scout murders that would have been a lot i really do appreciate that yeah so this reporter peter craig he ended up with some very interesting tips from old neighbors and town folk from grimsby where the two had moved previously Again, the charges that are being shared of Ian are both alleged and confirmed in different cases. The nine rape allegations, harming animals, indecent assault of underage girls. Ian himself confirmed he'd been with teens and a girl as young as 11. 11. No. How old is this man? At the time, he was just about 25, 26. Yep, far too old to be with an (laughs) 11-year-old. So he's not like, you know... 19. 12. Fresh out of school. <laughs> 12. 13. Right. And he's had his whole life to talk. Like, no, right. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just confirming. Just confirming. But again, because so few of these cases went to trial, a criminal record wouldn't have brought any of it up. So Peter uh-huh. Craig knew he couldn't sit on this. And being an actual good journalist, the Grimsby Daily came out with an article practically shouting to just freaking finally look into Ian Huntley. <laughs> And with that, a legitimate suspect was born. (laughs) I love when that happens. So we're going to talk a little bit about Ian Huntley and about the past that we know of Ian Huntley. Ian had married a girl he met named Claire. 
So this was just eight years before the girl's disappearance. Okay. Not that long. Not that long ago. So in 1994, Ian married a girl he met named Claire. Not Maxine, Claire. It was a whirlwind dating scene, but they just knew, you know, and when you know, you know, isn't that always how it goes? Mm -hmm. So after just weeks of dating, the two got married. Weeks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it works. Claire described Ian um, as this loving, doting, wonderful husband. He cooked for her. He rubbed her feet. He left her little notes in her lunchbox. Really? Fuck no. Okay. (laughs) Oh, you pulled a me. Yeah. Ooh. Claire described Ian as having an aggressive temper and a violent nature that due to she was often afraid for her life. Yeah, he sounds like a prize. Great. Great fucking start. You had me though. Oh, he's so doting and good. I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> Claire seemingly wanted a divorce right quick, but Ian wouldn't let it happen for five years. Oh, and also during this time, he abused a girl named Katie who got pregnant. But once she was pregnant, she was able to make an escape to raise the child on her own. While he's married to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And he's a young guy at this point. Yeah, they got married like 1920, something like that. Okay. So just young. Young, young, young. And again, frankly, the wildest part of this beginning to Ian's story is that even though it didn't work out with Claire and Ian... It did work out with Claire and Ian's younger brother. (laughs) Oh. Uh, Wayne is Ian's younger brother and Claire was like, yeah, I'm actually going to get married to him now. (laughs) That sounds better. Seems like a hell of a Christmas. She was like, I knew I had it right with the family. Yeah. I, you know. It's the wrong, wrong brother. We all been there. Close, but no cigar. (laughs) Don't you hate when that happens? (laughs) Yeah. And I said, it sucks to suck Ian. Yep. Yep. So, seemingly everyone in Grimsby knew what Ian was doing and his quote-unquote perversions, but nothing was happening. Super confusing. And nobody in the town knew why, and it was obviously because if you're a child victim and you decide to not re-traumatize yourself with a court case, that's not going to end up on his record. So he was just abusing kids this whole time he's married and also abusing his wife. Yep, and also other adult females. Okay, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just a few years later, in 1998, and do keep in mind, uh, he is still married to Claire in 1998. They don't get divorced until 1999. Okay. So in 1998, Ian groomed a 15-year-old named Emma. Mm. Emma moved into Ian's mother's house with him shortly after they met. Social services did try to intervene, just so you know. But uh, Ian convinced Emma to lie so that the service leavers the service workers would leave her alone. What so? What service workers are going to leave a 15-year-old in the home of a non-parent, non-guardian, predatory well, man? Well, you know, I mean, she said it was fine. You know? <laughs> mhm. So it wasn't long after that that Ian found out that Emma could be pregnant. 15-year-old Emma. Pregante, yes, at okay. 15. Pregante, pregnant, Yes. Help. Am I pregnant? A baby. Hooray, right? right? Oh. Aren't we super excited about the baby? This Aren't we really excited that the baby is giving birth to another baby? That the adult man is having a baby with a baby? Yeah. Well, it seems that uh, Ian was not on board and he threatened to kill Emma. You know, like she had any fucking choice in that matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Emma was only able to escape Ian after having a miscarriage. 
Mm. Whether that was Ian created or not, I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but I sure as shit wouldn't put it past him. Yep. Emma spoke out later saying how guilty she felt for lying to those social workers, um, partially blaming herself for the tragedy of what happened to Holly and Jessica. And it is not your fault, girl. She was a kid herself. You were a baby. Not that much older than them. Nope. And nope. he's just a predator. Yeah. But after meeting Maxine, I'm not sure how Ian convinced her to move two and a half to three hours away if everyone in Grimsby knew that he was a fucking predator. But Ian obviously couldn't avoid his past forever, and Maxine and Ian had a great start to their new love. Good for them. Maybe Ian had grown, or maybe he had just learned better ways of abusing women, but allegedly, Ian was romantic and would shower Maxine with gifts and compliments. Maxine was pumped head over heels but her sister called out the love bombing from ian he really did yeah do the whole like notes in your lunchbox kind of thing but I with assume this one so. mm-hmm. yeah well and you know it's a lot easier to convince someone you've changed if you show them the barest bones of love and respect after like abusing and raping children that'll do it so yep but also shout out to maxine's sister she's recognizing psychology vocab in real time Love that. And we all deserve someone who can say, mm, that ain't healthy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Sad for Maxine, though, because just as quickly as the love bombing started, the love bombing seemingly ended, and she quickly became yet another notch in the abuse belt Ian was making. Aww. Maxine was now just another one of his victims, but she was the victim that got wrapped up into much more than the other girls, and that's saying something. Aww. So, with all of the phone calls and past history coming to light, Ian and Maxine were asked to come into the police station for voluntary interviews. These interviews lasted about a billion years. (laughs) More likely, probably like a billion hours. But it was a long time. Maxine had said she was home with Ian the night of, but she went into a bunch of mundane detail about the day. Particularly, there was a lot of detail about the very large, in-depth meal that she made for Ian uh, just for the sake of it. It sounded like a Thanksgiving dinner. I know the British don't have the same Thanksgiving we do if they have one, but it was big, like lots of sides. And I'm like, girl, for what? For just the two of you? Yeah. Okay. However, Ian was the opposite. Ian would stay silent for shockingly long periods of time. Within a conversation context, Ian was asked what Holly was wearing and looked like, and he would take like full minute long breaks before answering. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but the next time you have a convo with someone, try not answering a question to see how long you can go, because I guarantee you it's not a minute. Yes, especially a little timer. If they're not expecting it, like if it's not like, hey, let's see how long we can go staring at each other. And it's just like, how are you? Yeah, that's uncomfortable. That wasn't even kind of a minute. So um, <laughs> it's it seems really long in that context. But the time he takes also doesn't make a lot of sense because it's not like he's remembering things. And normally I would say, oh, you know, sometimes you have to like take a second to be back there. See what you can see in your mind. You yeah, know? But you can take a beat, but a beat isn't a minute. They asked what Holly looked like. And he said, and this like literally makes me nauseous, by the way, just in case. Uh, you were wondering, he said, um, very long pause, blonde hair, I think. 
Another long pause. Shoulder length? Very slim. It just feels like, yeah, I'm into her. The slim blonde. She's fucking 10. She's just a baby. And then he took a longer pause than the other two and finished it with, I can't remember anything else about her. Not the bright red jersey she had on. Doubtful. Not her best friend that she was hanging out with or what they were giggling about or like talking about. (sighs) And so it was weird, but the search went on. There's no, there's nothing convictable in that. Mm -hmm. But what did add to the long list of circumstantial evidence Mm -hmm. and the suspicion against Ian and Maxine was that after these interviews, the police very soon found out that Maxine had actually gone back to Grimsby the night the girls went missing. Okay. The plot thickens. Which meant the lie detector test determined her whole fucking story was a lie because she wasn't even in the fucking area the night that the two went missing. She did not make a Thanksgiving-like dinner, did she? Or if she did, it was a hell of a lot more than two people in a place that was not that place, and she was not one of the last people to see the girls alive because she was not fucking there. Ooh. Including every minute detail that she served those police on a silver fucking platter, it was all a fucking lie. Which... At least in the States, tampering with an investigation is a crime, but this also meant Ian lost his alibi. Whoopsies. Yep. She had to know. She had to know. She had to know. This still didn't provide concrete evidence that Ian was their guy, but it was a huge lead. Chief Stevenson asked to search the school Ian worked at again. The first search the police had Ian give them the tour, and they were like, Actually, now that we know what we know, we should get another one. Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee you that man's was not giving you everything he had. No, let's actually get a different staff member to give us the little show around. Could we? That'd be great. So it took some time, but the team finally found some evidence on the college. Mm -hmm. Inside a yellow bin was a black bag. Oh, no. Inside that black bag, all that was left was some charred and ripped up remains of two red Manchester United jerseys with David Beckham's name on it. Oh, God. And where was this on the campus? I'm sorry. This was not at the girls school, but at the college campus across the way that he worked. I think it was either in like a custodial closet in what looked like a gymnasium. I don't know. That's the kind of flooring it had. So maybe the whole school had it, but... It gave me like within gym. The, within the building, but oh, yes. not anywhere he was bringing them. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. So the building it was found in was a short parking lot away from Ian's house. Further, the forensics showed that some of the fibers in the bag matched some of the fibers of Ian's clothing and possessions, mm. which meant we finally had a fucking piece of evidence in this case and one that immediately connected Ian to it. Chief Stevenson cried when he found this out. Mm. He had to talk about it, obviously, on the TV and news and like share it with people. And he called it a watershed moment. Mm. Ian and Maxine had been taken to separate police station for interviews. 
And I will say, Chief Stevenson has an incredibly respectful and kind way of handling this kind of news. I don't know if it's that uh, cultural difference in the British affect that we were talking about earlier, but he was like very formal. He was like, I am so incredibly upset to have to give such devastating news. And then he went into it. It wasn't like, this is what we found out. (laughs) It was like, this fucking sucks. Uh, Here's what I know. Yeah. So when Ian was finally arrested, he called his parents' house. He spoke with his mother, Linda. And Linda asked him if he did it. The Linda who had Emily live with him? Uh-huh. With her? Okay, uh-huh. that's... Yeah. That Linda? That Linda. 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 Come on, girlfriend. Um, He allegedly took a long pause mm. in Ian's fashion. Correct. And all he said was, I love you, mom. After she asked if he mm-hmm. did it. Okay. Yes. Cue the SpongeBob five minutes later. Dumbass. Yeah. Also, like, that's on a recorded line in a police station. You don't think you could have at least, like, me? Heavens no. Oh, ma. Clutch your fucking pearls. I know. You'd think you'd put on a little bit of a show. Damn. Nope, none. Maxine, on the other hand, said that she had lied, but knew of Ian's past and didn't want him to be, quote, unquote, unjustly accused of something. Girlfriend, stop lying for his ass. Okay, but consider this what if he's justly accused exactly does that change what if he's accused of something he did do yeah what if what if it's all just evidence Mm -hmm. and he's not just being railroaded what if what if so one thing that the police noted when doing a second walkthrough of ian's house was that his car had four brand new tires Mm mm-hmm And the lining in the back had been replaced. Ian. Ian. There was also a forensic examiner who noted that there were traces of brick dust and concrete that were found under the car. However, only two weeks after the girls were last seen, Holly and Jessica were found. A member of the public found two small decomposing bodies lying side by side in a nearby woodland. Just 12 miles from their houses. Oh, how long had passed? About two weeks. Two weeks. This was pretty quick. Really good turnaround. DNA did prove that the two bodies were Holly and Jessica. The girls had been attempted to be burned. At least one of them had been sexually abused, but forensics could not determine if it was before or after death. And forensics did believe that the cause of death was asphyxiation for both. So strangled. Oh, God. It should also be noted that the police did find the last tires from Ian's car. And what really sealed the last nail in that coffin was that they matched the tire tracks on the road that the girls' bodies were found. Thank God. So ultimately, Ian was taken to court over these two murders, and he was actually given life in prison. Yay! Are we not celebrating? No, we can celebrate. Okay, good. But he got out on good behavior. (laughs) No, I do want it to be known that he didn't roll over, though. Obviously, he wasn't like, yeah, okay. You got me, because that's what, I don't know, a respectful, decent human being would do, but a respectful, decent human being wouldn't murder two children. So, um. He first took the stand, claiming it was an accident. 
that one of the girls needed something small first aid wise, like a Band-Aid or an aspirin or something. And he claimed that he accidentally Uh. knocked one of the girls into a full bathtub, which allegedly was full because he was trying to wash his dogs, the ones that gave him the quote unquote scratch marks. Um, And when he accidentally knocked one of the girls into the bathtub, she drowned and accidentally suffocated. And then he accidentally suffocated the other one by covering her mouth and nose to muffle the screams from the other one dying. Um, to which I say, my guy. What shit luck, bud. Bro. Damn, it's a Are tough day to be in. <laughs> I bet those dogs didn't even get a bath after all that. No, that would have been so traumatizing. Did he really? Also, like, why? Not to poke holes in a fake story, because it's obviously a fake story. But why the fuck would you muffle the screams of someone who watched someone die accidentally that you accidentally killed? Somehow. Who fills the bathtub first? Get the dog in there and then spray him down. I'm still <laughs> over that. I'm like, you roll the splashes for that? Are we not thinking ahead? You're going to need also, a mop. Again, my guy. to just like continue to poke holes in an already non-existent story. But um, she didn't just, that wasn't a slip and fall. No. 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 And you know what? And I'd, she didn't slip and fall and burn herself. I'd venture to say that as... I will just say also that, you know, maybe I was a tall 10 year old or just like big for my age, but I could sit up in the bathtub and not drown. So maybe (laughs) maybe she had the ability to not drown Um, on accident in a bathtub. Excuse me. Yes. Um, Speaking for the short folk. Uh-huh. We could do that too. Oh, okay, great. So yeah, there's no. So there was way. none of that. And like, if she had fallen and hit her head or something, then like you pull her out of the water. She's not all literally of th- all of this. And I know that he's literally grasping at straws and he's just spewing the first thing that came out of like came to his head. But yep. to be so dense to insult the intelligence of everybody else in that room and really sit on your hands with that story and be like, yep. That's, that's exactly what happened and they're like you sure about that you want to you you want me to write that you're down? positive I'm, you're gonna make me write that down are you this is gonna be in a court transcript are you sure well he was but luckily for everyone prosecution said that the story was nothing short of completely ridiculous but it absolutely was and why would you insult like <sighs> yeah also fuck you for doing that to their families Fuck you for doing that to their families, because in fact, if that was the truth, you could have called the police the same night, said, holy shit, she fell. I, I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't mean it. And you don't bring anybody. First of all, they need a bandaid. Then you bring it outside. Yep. They're you children. Don't, you don't bring babies into your home. You say, you guys sit tight because it's not that cold out. Mm-hmm. Hang out in the yard. I'm going to be right back. I'm going to have you sit on the front steps. I'm going to go in and grab a little wet wipe and a little... Foreign and I mean, knowing me, I'd bring out a snack, but that's... Yeah. I don't know. That's a me thing. But, like, we'll take care of you, and then we'll get you... I'm going to give your parents a call so they know where you are. Yeah, and then we'll get you home safe. Because that's the, that's the thing that you do if children need help. And if you are a responsible adult who's not intent on... I don't know, assaulting them or raping them or hurting them Just in being some a way. in general, uh, for sure. I don't know about you, but if I was an adult with any child but particularly a child of the opposite sex i'd be very very intent and specific on making sure there were other people around and making sure that everything was like 
very surface level. Okay, sweetheart, let's get you home. I don't mm-hmm. want anything misconstrued. I don't want your parents to come and say, why is that Band-Aid on your rib cage? Like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, none of that. Yeah, you have to, but you have to think of those things and say, okay, how can I do what's what was my responsibility yeah. as the, you know, I have a duty to the care as the, adult. as the adult with children. And then you face that situation, therefore, and you always make, you shouldn't really have contact with someone's kids, no. especially without their parent there, without their parent being aware of that. Well, especially under those circumstances, exactly. he sure as shit could have given them a call. He didn't want to. And it's because none of that happened because he literally lured them, assaulted them, murdered them, and then tried to discard them like trash because you know what's pretty easy to do Mm. if you have a dog and these kids know your partner because they work at your school to be like oh do you want to play with the puppy maxine's just finishing dinner yep and now we don't know what happened he this asshole has never fucking said well he's just still pausing he'll say it it's just (laughs) like years and years and years it's like his pause today it's like in spongebob when they fast forward to chrome (laughs) yeah like that's how long Okay, all right. So if we hold out a few more decades, maybe we'll get something. But um, we still don't know. And he was, luckily for us, still given two life sentences. And he won't be eligible for parole until 2042 when he'll be 68. He can do so much damage at 68. He's still spry at that point. Yeah. So, but, you know, no promises he'll get parole. It's just his eligibility. We don't get, like, the cheers for an LWAP, but at least it's something. Hmm. As far as Maxine goes, she was given three years for the English equivalent of interfering with an investigation. For lying, yeah. Right. Giving him an alibi he didn't have. Her technical charge was perverting the course of justice. So I guess that's the English version of that. However, Maxine did write to Ian for a bit, like continued to. And she wrote him until December, which was less than like four months after they were both sentenced. Mm Mm-hmm. But she stopped then. And it was said that she was released from the prison Mm -hmm. less than six months into her sentence and was given a new identity. Really? Why? I assume uh, some info on Ian came out or at least their relationship because she also was heavily abused by him. Which doesn't make what she did okay, but it does make it more understandable. Yeah, I mean... There's battered woman syndrome for a reason, but that role in there is still, I mean, I guess she served some period of time. Yeah. But still, that's, I mean, it's horrific. And I mean, ultimately, by the time they were discovered missing, it sounds like it's likely one of those cases where by the time someone noticed they were gone, they were already dead. Right. The Jacob Wetterling case always got me, and we've covered that if you want to listen to it. But by the time his parents realized that he was gone and that the other kids came home and told of what happened, that he was taken, he was dead by the time the police were looking for him. Yeah. They spent decades searching for him, decades longer looking for him than he was alive. It was just one of those situations. So it, in all likelihood, did it probably matter a whole lot what Maxine said probably not but it was enough you know like if she had been straight up and been like I wasn't there that might have moved this on a lot faster oh I'm I'm not excusing it but I mean the end result is probably still the same so at least we can I mean as awful as it is it's not like somebody could have done and said something and we just waited because I don't get the sense that he kept them 
for a few yeah. days before no, he killed them. It was seemed pretty instant. All of that that same day and then he was so eager to be the one to give the tour and to be the one in contact and to like be the some kind of liaison with the community right and just you guys know we're considering doing a cj short on this but let us know if you're interested we kind of want to talk about common offender patterns after you know news finds out or they've just committed their crime so for me immediately hearing that he couldn't stay out of the news is a red flag I'm like, why can't you take a beat and let someone who knows more do more? And it's because nobody knew more because he's the one that did the fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also wanted it to be known, Maxine, when she was given her new identity, at the time she was one of only four people to have that granted to her after being incarcerated in the UK. Wow. And in the years since, at least 10 women, but I think they say over, so I mean... Hell, that could be 11. But Mm. at least 10 women have been brutally attacked over cases of mistaken identity where people have thought she was they were Maxine Carr. No way. Yeah. So I can imagine between the threat of Ian and the threat of that. Other people coming for her because of her role in that. Wow. That it was well deserved. But also, um, if we're coming for people that hurt kids, can we actually go for the people that hurt the kids? Like, I get it. She played a role in covering it up, but she didn't hurt those children. I think she was definitely a woman who was likely ill. Oh, yeah. And afraid. And and it's not to say that she shouldn't or couldn't have done things better or differently. Um, I'm just saying, let's not attack people that didn't actually do the thing that you're angry about, you know? It's, that's just ugh. but in case you were wondering um i did just want to note on ian today um before we fully conclude and like remember the girls but he slipped and fell and his dick fell off oh my god i wish in the bathtub um you're gonna like this though Ooh. so i'm gonna stop talking about this motherfucker soon so i can have my blood come down from a boil but Ian today has been described as a guy who victimizes children and young adults and uses his power control and adult influence to commit offenses. Mm-hmm. But my favorite parts of Ian Huntley's shitty life today includes his history in prison. Mm-hmm. Because Maxine Carr got a new identity because so many people wanted to fucking beat her up. So I can assume you would imagine that Ian has not had a great time. I would hope. Well, I'm sure here to confirm it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. While I'm not sure of the appeal process in Britain or whether or not he's been able to participate in that, he has not had it easy and boy am I glad. I mean, here in the States, there is certainly a hierarchy in prison and people who hurt children are at the bottom of that totem pole, which I'm very okay with. And I can imagine Britain is the same way. At least Ian's experience might suggest that's true. Not only has Ian had boiling water pulled poured all over his face holy shit which seems like karma but it also seems as though ian has had at least one other prisoner attempt to slit his throat wow so he might actually have more to worry about in there than appealing which might be a first but i'll bet you this i am not a gambling woman mostly because i lose a lot but if i were Mm -hmm. i would bet you top dollar that he is a model prison prisoner Oh, certainly. That he is a model prisoner in terms of his behavior and interactions 
and that he is probably the yes sir, no sir kind of guy because there are actually no female children in there for him to abuse or adult women for him to abuse while he's there. So in terms of like his interaction with anybody who isn't rude to him, he's probably a chummy guy. Oh, I'm sure he's great. Um, But I say good riddance. (laughs) oh yes i say good luck surviving and you didn't let our girls survive so i guess case or asura you know Mm -hmm. i mean eat glass you know yeah so now to the best part Mm -hmm. um i'd actually like to get some closure for sweet holly and jessica right after their bodies were found all around england the major league soccer and football tournaments actually held a full minute of silence for the girls as long as half of one of Ian Huntley's fucking pauses. <laughs> Seriously. Kidding. No. Um, but, but they did. They held a full minute of silence for the girls. So you're saying our soccer, their football? Yes. Okay. And for the rest of the season, one that really touched my heart was a big match between Manchester United and Chelsea. David Beckham scored a goal that he dedicated to the girls. Mm. And something that made me particularly emo... <laughs> was learning that the girls like every other day of their life were buried right next to each other i don't know why this makes me cry but it does break me at least they have each other you know and like the range of women you know can we just like the range as far as families go jessica's family has seemingly been out of the news as fast as possible i do not blame them they are still Allegedly reported to live in Soham, which I only know because of Holly's family and how they dealt with things afterwards. Kevin, Holly's father, became a founding patron for the charity Grief Encounter. He fundraised by running a fucking marathon. Wow. Which was sick. Kevin and Nicola almost weren't able to keep their marriage, but they fought really hard afterwards. We talk about how common it is for parents of children who are murdered or children who die to get divorced Mm -hmm. it's so incredibly difficult on anyone let alone to process that together and to come out stronger on the other side or to come out together on the other side because grief is a different process for everyone but since the two fought so hard they are doing quote-unquote better than ever they keep photos of holly everywhere but moved out of their original home right after it happened it was too much i understand that they did have to leave for a while to get through it, but they returned in 2012. So they are able to live there. and In, in the same town. In the same house. They moved back into the same house. Back in the same house. I think wow. they just rented it for like 10 years. Wow. Um, Jessica's family does not like to speak about it, so I'll respect that and, you know, let them be. This case made history for a few reasons and had a lot of influence in TV and media. Not only has there been a movie called Maxine about Maxine Carr. Damn. But also, Russell Brand actually was recently in the news talking about this. Um, He wasn't in the news, but uh, him talking about it got in the news because allegedly, 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 according to two women that he allegedly had a threesome with. Allegedly. Um, he allegedly said. Allegedly. That they looked like Holly and Jessica. Ew. And allegedly made lots of Ian Huntley comments during the threesome. God damn yeah. it. Ew. Yeah. Um, oh, come on, man. Allegedly. But allegedly. Were, the girls in the news, this they did say, they were like, we just didn't know how you could say that and then have sex. 
at the same time like mm-hmm. how your brain uh computes that correct or whatever cognitive fucking dissonance you have to do to keep a boner through that <sighs> so or worse <laughs> yeah uh yeah so that's the nuisance that's the recent news update on the case but all in all Solving the murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman involved over 400 officers, over 20 police forces, over 1,400 calls being made within two weeks. Wow. Making the search for Holly and Jessica one of the biggest in Britain's history. That says something. It does. That makes a statement in and of itself. Two weeks. That's a lot for 14 days. Wow. But yeah, that is the murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman and the asshat who is, you know, still asshatting, still asshatting, but hopefully a lot with a lot more struggle in prison. So I'm struggling with this one because I try to always find the good or at least a positive, a silver lining of like, okay, well, we at least learned this from this, right? Right. But he's been so tight-lipped and we can't ask them about the circumstances that made them leave their home, right? head toward him and be taken by him that it's like, Like, what do you do? In this case, the silver lining is that he was caught. We don't know anything else. We don't know what happened. We don't know how it happened. And he Because he maintains his story that... One of them fell and hit their head and the other one got strangled by. Right. Or even if he fucking doesn't, he's sure as hell not saying what actually happened. Right. Which is just so frustrating. It's not like you're going to get out of prison for that. They're not going to like dangle that carrot as a way to get out early. Oh, tell us the brutal crime you did. Then you'll get out earlier. Like, But you know, those families have gone over in their minds a million times over any kind of variation they could imagine of what yep. their child's last moments were like. And it's confusing, too, because with the forensics on the body, it's like we know that their bodies were attempted to be burned. Obviously, mm-hmm. that didn't finish or completely burn the girls because we were able to identify them. And it doesn't seem like most of them mm-hmm. were burned. We know that at least one was sexually assaulted, but we don't know when. Mm-hmm. We know that they were asphyxiated that's it and we know that they were dead that day and there are so so many different possibilities that could lead to that the confirmation of one being sexually assaulted is not the denial of the other one being sexually assaulted it just Mm -hmm. wasn't able to be confirmed through forensics god forbid the burning worked in the areas that they needed to find that dna we just won't know right And so it does give me hope to know that Ian had those three scratch marks on his face. I'm sure those girls put up a hell of a fight. And that's all we have. My heart is aching. I'm sorry. It's a tough one. Well, and it's awful because like they lived to get like they pretty much lived inseparably and then they died inseparably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How awful that is that one likely watched the other die. Oh, yeah. I, it, I, yeah, this is, this is very reminiscent of Girl Scout murders. So it was a difficult one to research, but I think it is worth talking about. Of course it is. Especially with, I mean, we always say like, if they can go through it, we can talk about it. But also knowing how big it was in Britain, knowing the size of attention this case got, 
and um fucking ian huntley like how the hell was he not behind bars way before this but bless up that he is yeah that he could have been put away before and those girls would have been alive yeah mm-hmm. if um you know social services hadn't been okay taking the word of a 15 year old over her parents if you know the marriage that he got in that she was requesting a divorce for five years while he victimized other people and her before they got divorced was reported or done anything about if it was reported <laughs> like yeah and it's like it's not to blame the victims of never. those other cases but it is a fact that you can't do something with nothing so you yep. can't you can't punish him for crimes nobody knows about and especially when it impacts children it's so hard so something i left out because it didn't have a lot of impact on this story was that both ian and maxine were known to be like fucking liars by the end of this so somehow it got past both schools the primary school and the college that ian had totally i think made up his degree from the school he went to maxine didn't make up a degree but she did change her grades from the school she went to to get the job she had great so and like nobody caught that nobody did background check it was 2002 i don't even know if you could really google someone at that time but like there was nothing really being done. I mean, not like you can't today, for sure. 20 years ago, it was a different story. Absolutely. And so it's just, it's it's heartbreaking and it's interesting and it's so frustrating that the two of them were able to do what they were able to do unchecked. But what a comment in and of itself that women, unfortunately, who had the misfortune of looking like Maxine Carr. Mm-hmm were attacked because of that visceral response people had to victimizing babies oh yeah and i think there there i think there are very few things that we as a society can agree on yeah but the animosity many of us feel that's like in our caveman dna yeah little lizard brains to protect babies and to protect kids yeah is like it's in all of us like if we can agree on anything save the kiddos so many of us can agree on that and then there's those those handful of people that victimize them yeah and the claws come out from everybody it doesn't matter and so the fact that women could accidentally happen to look like this woman who played a passive role yeah in this crime and get the shit beat out of them is also a comment well, there's a One whole ounce. culture in there. There's a whole like, oh, you sexually abuse kids? Yeah, go fuck Hell yourself. Because no. I have a daughter or I have a, a niece or a cousin or a sister or a mother or somebody or they themselves were the victimized kid. Right. I was going to say there is a large population of people that were sexually abused in prison serving time. So if it's not out of that caveman lizard brain mm-hmm. instinct or... The recognition that, hey, I have a 10-year-old niece. What the fuck? Or they themselves were the kid who was right. abused in their response. youth. Yeah. Child predators are really at the bottom of the totem pole. And, you know, if we can all agree on that, including the people that are already serving time in a prison, I think it says something. Let's stop abusing kids. Can we? Can we? It is like one of the most... <laughs> I don't know, standard yeah. rules in prison. Yeah. 
Oh, God, yeah. If an offender abuses kids, it's like, you will be beat up. You will probably be in some kind of isolation, not because you're a danger to them, because there's, you know, no kids there for you yeah. to victimize, but um, they're definitely a danger to you. Yeah, but what sweet girls. What beautiful little what girls. babies. And they're besties. Aww. I hope they had their matching necklaces. Oh, I'm sure they were buried with them. I hope so. Oh, I hope that. So that was the murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. I want to remind you all that if you are feeling this a little extra or you need someone to talk to, please check out our Instagram. We do have resources for crisis lines and mental health help up on our highlights. We also have reprieves and memes if you need a little levity after all of this. And of course, we have all the people, places and things we talked about today so you could find that either look below at our little caption with it or you could go to Instagram and search in that little type bubble <gasps> about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's A-B-O-U-T period, T-I-M-E period, F-O-R period, T-R-U-E period, C-R-I-M-E period, P-O-D because podcast was too long. But if you like podcasts, want to share something too long, you could do that via email. Allie, where would they email us? So if you wanted to send us an email, you would do so to about time the number four tc at gmail.com so that's a-b-o-u-t-t-i-m-e numeric four tc at gmail.com and we are so grateful that you guys were all with us today again if you could throw us that rate review follow subscribe all that good shit ring the bell we're not on youtube but you get the point it helps us a lot more than you guys know um it helps us get our word out there and is a really good motivator that you guys actually are listening and enjoying and want us to keep doing this and so we will continue to do that because we are here for you baby we love the comments we love the answers to questions and polls we put below on spotify or up on our instagram and Just so you guys know, we will have a survey coming out shortly. So if you guys would be oh so willing to fill that out and let us know your thoughts, we would be so appreciative. But until then, if I do look at my clock, that was about time for true crime. Bye. Bye.